Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We are uh, sort of in between some uh, series here. We just, we're coming out of Advent, and uh, we have a couple um, blessed mornings ahead of us uh, with some um, special services, and then we'll be back in the book of Mark. But we're going to take this morning just to reflect on uh, a topic that I, I'm hoping will help us anchor our hearts in the Lord in faith and in his grace as we move into the new year, uh, specifically to talk about, about prayer. Um, there's, a, there's a large development going on across my street, uh, behind my neighbor's house, a new neighborhood going up. And for the past couple years, I've been watching them um, you know, move dirt all over the place. And then slowly they, they got roads in. And, and I think it was around the end of the summer, I was just on Google Maps and I noticed Google had updated the satellite images of that area, which was once just farmland, uh, beautiful, just open farmland, and, that, and it had just dirt roads through it. And I just thought it, it, it was very interesting how the roads had to come in first before there was any houses to be done in that area. So all the d- dirt roads were on the satellite image, and then they paved all those roads. And then once they paved the roads, they started to build the homes. So no houses without those roads. And then it was with those roads, then all of the workers, uh, all those builders, all the trucks and supplies could make their way into that. And as I was looking at that image, it connected to me to this, this area of prayer, this, this idea that when, when there's a pathway for our hearts to get to God, he uses prayer to get things built and to get done. And we're going to be thinking about a text that talks all about the kingdom of God and what God's kingdom is doing in us personally and, of course, in his people. And God wants to, to move in us. He wants to build something in us. And as, as we look ahead of this new year, it's, it's going to be one of change. It's one of growth for us as a church. Um, change maybe comes easy to some, maybe less easy to others. So maybe this new year looks, feels unsettling to you. Um, maybe it's not just church-wise, but maybe it's family-wise. Your, what's going on in your life. There's unknowns, things for your heart to be anxious. But we have an opportunity to, to allow the Lord to map road systems in our heart so that he can do something in us. He's doing something in us in, as a church. He's doing something in us individually. And, and prayer, prayer gets us in a place for God to do that. And whenever I hear maybe a sermon coming at me about prayer, maybe you're like me, this little angst kind of comes over me, like... Am I going to be confronted with some fresh guilt on how much I don't pray or how much I need to pray more or how distracted I am in prayer or even just moments where I do pray, I feel like God isn't listening. And I, I'm, I'm hoping to chuck no shame grenades here this morning, but my hope is that we, we leave encouraged. We, we leave with a fresh awareness of faith, knowing that, that, that it's not five-step techniques to, to pray better, but a confidence knowing who we are praying to and, and who we are as God's people that motivates us to go and pray. There's an invitation by his grace that we have to pray. And it's, and it's rooted in grace. It's rooted in an unbroken union because of Jesus by the Spirit with God our Father. And knowing we are God's children, his sons and daughters, it, it shapes our prayer. It, it moves from just drudgery and discipline to, to a fellowship of, a, of children running to their father. And he's eager to do good things. 
And so let's read in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read verses 7 through 11, and then we're going to, we're going to pray. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the invitation this morning that we've already heard that we can come to you. That there is, there is no righteousness on our own. There is no deed that we can do. There's, there's no sin that, that uh, sins that we wrestle with that you have not provided a righteousness that, uh, that calls us to stand before you uh, with confidence because of grace, because of your mercy, because of your love. Uh, and, and so we can draw near. We can draw near to your throne of grace to find help in our time of need because you are, a, you are a, a faithful savior. And so this morning, as we think about prayer, Lord, as we think about your words, this invitation this morning, would you, would you help us hear from you today by your spirit? Would you draw us near to you in faith? Would you, would you help us as a church to, to grow in prayer and our asking and our seeking and knocking? In your name we pray, amen, amen. Well, before we get into these few verses, I want to just set a little context for us. You see, chapters 5 through 7 capture what is referred to as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so it's a lengthy message, um, partly maybe summaries of things that he would have communicated to this, this massive crowd of people. And he's teaching what it looks like to live in his kingdom as his disciples in just sort of everyday life in this world. And he's showing us how his gospel is, reshapes his people, reshapes and compels his people to follow him and love him from their heart at the deepest level, to obey him from their heart, uh, not just religious externals. Because part of what he's doing in his sermon is, is in contrast to the religious leaders or religious teaching of the day. The performance-driven Pharisee in his law-keeping believed he was gaining credit before God by his work, maybe making himself acceptable before God and then elevating himself above everyone else who didn't do what they do to draw attention to them rather than, than give glory to God. And we see these in like chapter six when Jesus says, says things like, don't be like the hypocrites who stand up when giving out to the poor and the needy, blowing trumpets, look at what, look what I'm doing. Or don't be like the religious and their grand prayers, their loud repetitions for all to see and all to hear. The religious person is consumed with his performance before others and before God, and he thinks somehow that will inform his prayers and garner God's ear. But Jesus is, is undoing on that. He, he's turning it upside down, and is teaching his disciples what makes prayers effective is true relationship with God from a transformed heart. And he teaches his disciples how to pray in chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. We actually heard our prayer reflective of that this morning. 
And how does that begin? Our Father, our Father who art in heaven. So the very grounds and the foundation of which we get to approach God, Jesus says, is rooted in a relationship, a father relationship with a child. Jesus teaches us to not be anxious about food and clothing or what the day is going to bring. And he, and he tells us he's going to take care of us. And how does he tell us? Because our heavenly father knows we have need of them. So chapters 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, we eventually get to our text in chapter 7. So for three chapters, Jesus has been teaching what a true follower in his kingdom looks like. And he's sort of flipping upside down this idea of where the religious would say is acceptable to live in God's kingdom, calls us to live faithfully in it, obedience to him, following him from the heart. And, it, and as you read, if you've read through these chapters of, of late, I was reflecting on these chapters, it, the, the layers of expectations of what kingdom life feels like and demands of us could feel daunting. The demand seems too great. I mean, this, it sort of begs the question, how can we do this? Blessed are the persecuted? I don't, I don't want to be persecuted. How am I going to endure that? What can keep anger from my heart that looks and is likened to murder? An eye-gouging, arm-cutting-off intensity fight against sin in my life. Radically faith, radical faithful love towards my spouse that never ends all the way to the end. Loving my enemies punches me in this side of my face, I give them this side of my face. That's quite the call, a call to fast, to lay up treasures in heaven, to not be anxious, to forgive, to persevere, to be salt and light to this world around me, to be a light to those areas of darkness. How am I going to do this? How am I going to be a faithful disciple in his kingdom? And I, Jesus embeds this prayer, this, this encouragement for us to pray because we know, he knows we cannot do this on our own. None of us are going to be able to live faithfully in his kingdom as his disciples, this demand without prayer. And prayer brings us to him. He knows this is impossible, but our dependence, our neediness draws us to him so that we could bear fruit and we could do it with joy. And so as I consider what's ahead of us in 2022 and 2023 and 2030, our dependence cross a grace. Our dependence, our need must come before him. What he wants to do in cross of grace, what he wants to do in our hearts will come with us looking to him. And prayer is a gateway for us to get to that place. But we're going to be tempted to look to so many other things for our confidence, for our stability, for peace. And Jesus is saying, I want it to be me. I want it to be me. I think Ray Ortland gets at it when he says this, when we depend on organization, we get what organization can do. When we depend on education, we get what education can do. But when we depend on God, we get what God can do. That is why we pray. We want to be involved in what only God can do for us. Only what God can do for us. So we need God. We need his heart. We we need him to do what only he can do. And prayer 
is at the core of that. And I believe God's inviting us to move towards him in fresh ways to pray. And just hear me, as I'm preaching this sermon, I'm preaching this to my own, own heart this morning, cross the grace. And so just these few short verses, I just want to highlight two things, our invitational command and our abiding confidence. So what is this invitational command? We see Jesus says, pray. He says, ask, seek, knock. These, these three imperatives, these commands, these with symmetry, and I would argue maybe one command with this guaranteed promised outcome. You ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Now, I don't think the emphasis here is for us to dissect some, some magic formula, like these are three required ingredients for God to hear us and actually do what we're praying for. But but I think it's, it's a movement all in the same direction, this increasing intensity, humble trust, intentional pursuit, persistence. I think each captures something in that movement. We start with asking. Asking, going to him, requires humility, requires faith. Proud, self-sufficient people don't ask for help from other people. They think they're okay. And Jesus' invitation begins with, with ask. See me, come to me, and it will be given. Seek, seeking, there is this, this real pursuit. There's action, there's, there's a sincerity now. It's not just simply a flippant, flippant ask. There is, there is a pursuit here. And at times, we don't know exactly how to pray. So we lean into him. We lean more deeply into his word. We, we're seeking his heart. We're asking for wisdom and clarity as we pray. We're, we're pressing in to know his will and how we are to pray. Not ours, but, but your will, Lord. And then there's knocking. There's this, there's this persistence there. This pursuit sort of in the next level. In the book of Luke, Jesus, in his teaching on prayer, he connects to this story. It tells of a man who, in the middle of the night, like midnight, some friends show up unexpected to his home, and he has no food to give to his friends. So he goes to his neighbor friend, and, and maybe banging on his door, and he's asking him for some food. And the neighbor's yelling at him, like, why are you disturbing me? It's the middle of the night. My family's sleeping. What are you doing bugging me at this hour? Well, it says the man eventually gets up and helps his friend, but he, he doesn't do it because of a relationship. He does it because of his, his, his impudence, it says, his, his, his shameless audacity, this persistence. He finally gets up and, and gets his friend some food. Jesus is sharing that story with a contrast of who he is. He's not just worn down, but he is a good friend, a better friend who gets up to delight to serve and give what we call and we ask of him. Notice the promise on these. You ask, you will get. You, you seek, you're going to find. You knock, it's going to be opened. Who's doing the opening? The Lord is doing the opening of that door. We don't have to open the door. We're knocking and he has the power to grant that. I think Spurgeon brings these all together in this little bit lengthier of a quote, but it's so good. I have no doubt that, taken very strictly, the three exhortations of this verse, which indeed are but one, 
In each exhortation, our Lord bids us pray. Beloved, let us abound in supplication. It is not when we combine all three that we get the blessing, though doubtless if we did combine them, we would get the combined reply. But if we exercise only one of these three forms of prayer, we will get that which our soul seeks after. These three methods of prayer exercise a variety of our graces. Some have said this passage tells us that faith asks, hope seeks, and love knocks. Faith asks because she believes God will give. Hope, having asked, expects, and therefore seeks for the blessing. And love comes nearer still and will not take a denial from God, but desires desires to enter into his house and to sup with him, to eat and drink with him, and therefore knocks at his door until he opens it. So we ask. We ask with faith, knowing that he can. We, we seek, knowing there's a hopeful expectation that God will do in his timing and in his way, bring what we have asked of him, and we knock because he, he is the one who can open it up. And we're assured of his love behind that door, whatever that looks like. And yet our asking, if you've been one who has asked and sought and knocked for a long duration, you realize that something happens in us, in our asking, our seeking, and knocking. Uh, We have to let go of the thing we have a grip on. We have to let go at times of our own will or the things that we expect to take place. And we we say, Lord, not, not my will, but yours be done. There was a story that I read from a pastor and author named Jack Miller, and he shared while he was on a missions trip with a team, and they were preparing to minister, and he described how they were just, the whole team was just full of of anxiety and fear and unbelief based on some opposition that was going on there. And so he said, we began to pray. We began to pray really hard. And he wrote, and I'll never forget this small little phrase, that said, we prayed until we died. Meaning they prayed until they, they... They were emptied of their self, and Christ met them in that. They laid hold of saying, Lord, we, our anxiety, our fear, our doubts are raging, and we, we need to die to, to what is wrestle, our wrestlings and what we want, and we rest in you. And they encountered Christ in that. And I've read many of his stories of how God has used his ministry in mighty ways, and he, he modeled this prayerful dependence, and he built it into his church and I love what he wrote specifically about corporate prayer in the church. He says, it is really on our human side, a whole way of life as a group of shepherds and Christians, a way of constantly surrendering to Jesus Christ, to be freed of all human nearsightedness so that the life of the spirit can flow through us with freedom. Asking and seeking and knocking to encounter him. So he shapes us. So he he gives us his heart, his, the mission before us is, is something that happens as we, as we empty ourselves, and Jesus becomes the one whom we see and the spirit flows. And so I want that from my own heart. I, wanna, I want the prayer of, of John to be upon my heart, Lord. I, I may decrease, Lord, that you may increase. May that be our prayer, cross of grace, this coming year. And prayer gets us there. But behind this, this asking and seeking and knocking is this, is this rock-solid confidence that we can have as we pray. 
As we ask and we seek and we knock, there's this, this invitational command, but there's this abiding confidence that we have in this. And Jesus frames all of this in a, a relationship. Relationship gets at affection. Relationship gets at beyond just a burden of religious duty to, to love, to a connectivity. And Jesus says this, or, or in other words, and gives us this example of a familiar relationship, a father and a son. Simply a son asking a dad a request. And he used this example of bread and fish. These would be normal items of diet of the time, everyday things. And Jesus says, if a boy comes to his dad and the little boy asks his dad for some bread, would the, would the dad in maybe some weird way chuckle to himself and give his son a rock? Something absolutely inedible. Or if the son asked for a fish, would he give him a dangerous reptile to harm him instead? Well, it's rhetorical. Absolutely, absolutely not. Not even someone sinful or evil would do such a thing. And Jesus says, how much more, Jesus assures them and us, that we have this hopeful confidence in our prayer. And it comes with this massive covenantal bond of the love of God the Father with his children. Look at verse 11 again. If you then who are evil know how, much, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? If you bring evil, know how to good gifts, how much more, how much more certain will we know that the gifts we ask for, God who can do that much more and all much more and there is no imperfection and no evil and no sin in his heart, will he move towards us with good things? I think Jesus gives us some insight. I mean, Jesus could, could have just said, pray, ask, and it will be given to you. But he, but he gives us this little example, I think, to to uncover, to unlock something of the temptations of our own heart. The beliefs or reasons we do not go to him. Or the things we believe wrongly about how he is responding to us as we pray. We see God the Father is not like a bad father. But our views can be distorted for a variety of reasons. And I, I appreciate D.A. Carson's encouragement here. Say, God must not be thought of as a reluctant stranger who can be conjoled and bullied into bestowing gifts, as a malicious tyrant who takes vicious glee in the tricks he plays, or even as an indulgent grandfather who provides everything requested of him. He is the heavenly father, the God of the kingdom, who graciously and willingly bestows the good gifts of the kingdom and the answer to prayer. Good father, church. The best father. And we can approach him with trust and in confidence, knowing that he will be generous to us. I heard a friend highlight about his Christmas and his family. And he reflected on when he was a young boy. He asked his dad, don't you, don't you just love getting gifts? And his dad said, not really. He said, what I enjoy most is seeing you get gifts and opening them. 
My friend thought that was very confusing at the time, but it didn't make sense. But as he grew older and wiser, he understands that a good father loves to bestow gifts. He loves to hear his children ask and has the power and the generosity to pour that love upon them. And what is beautiful is the gospel frees us from having to approach our father with some perfection. The gospel enables us to come to the Lord in all our brokenness and our fumbling, inarticulate requests, just like a child does to their parent. Jesus reminds us, unless you come as a child, become a child, receive his kingdom as a child, and hear this example of us coming and praying as children, we lose something. Become like a child in that. I don't always come to the Lord in a childlike dependence in prayer. See, kids aren't cynical. They're not overly analytical. They're rarely doubters. They just, they just believe, sometimes blind trust. They're like masters of asking. But what do they ask? This week, as I've been home a little bit more, they ask. My kids have been asking. They've been asking for more iPad time and more games and a movie and more game time. They have just finished a foot-long tube of Skittles, and they want a foot-long candy cane to follow that. They, they don't mind asking. They don't mind asking and re-asking. Free, hopeful, constant, unhindered asking. They know dad loves them, and they want to ask. This is a default mode of a child's heart, a glad trust and dependence upon him. And I think it's beautiful that, that Jesus helps us want to get at that in our own hearts. But we, we grow old, older. We grow older and we get cynical and we doubt and become self-sufficient. And the realities of life batter us and bruise us and break us. And there are times we've asked and we just hear silence and we ask and... There seems to be no response. We've asked for loved ones to come to Jesus and they die without knowing Christ. We knock for a certain area of suffering to leave us and it just persists. What do we do when we, we do have that, that measure of doubt, when we're tempted to feel that, God, did you give me, did you give me a stone? This, this really feels like a, a serpent that you have, have dealt me other than something good. It's, these, these doubts aren't fiction. See, I don't think Jesus gave these because they're just some fictional thing out there. These are very real, tangible doubts we wrestle with as God's people. And he's not, he's not afraid to work through that with us. And So I want to I invite uh, my wife to come up and just share a story, a story of her life to, to maybe pull some of that fiction if that's out there for you and kind of connect it to to a real life. Her, she's going to share a testimony that I think connects to this, uh, this very real struggle this morning. So thanks for sharing. Good morning. Um, when Nate writes out his manuscripts, he usually shares them with me to look over ahead of time. And when I read this one, I told him that this specific scripture always brings me back to that time that God met me in a very profound way in one of the most difficult seasons um, of my life to date. 
and then he asked me to share about it this morning. So um, many of you know our story and have been part of it as you have cared for us um, so valiantly over the years, Um, and many of you are new and do not. So I am going to um, recap by filling in the big pieces um, for you. In November of 2012, we miscarried um, our first baby. Um, In July of 2013, we miscarried a second baby, And just three days later, I found out that my youngest brother, um, who was 24, had been tragically killed in an altercation with the police. There was a custody battle for his five-year-old son, um, which was then followed by a civil lawsuit with the police department. I also have a brother who is a police officer. Um, So this was a very messy time in my life, um, in all of our lives, very complicated on top of all of the grief. And then in March of 2014, I went in for a 10-week ultrasound. Um, Yes, I was pregnant. And we had made it to eight weeks. It was a great report. Everyone was praying with us. Um, My daughter, Sophie, she was in first grade, and I remember her being so excited that day to get home from school to see the new pictures of our long-awaited, prayed-for baby. We were anticipating something to celebrate after 16 months of this span of compounded grief. And then there was no heartbeat. We had lost our third baby. This miscarriage ended up being more complicated than the others, and I found myself days later being rushed to the emergency room for surgery because I was hemorrhaging. Several months had passed, and one night after we had gotten the kids to bed, I remember sitting on the couch, and I was probably staring off into space blankly. Um, The weight of grief and sadness was tremendous. There were so many tears. I'll never forget my kids during that season, only four, five, and seven at the time, on many occasions seeing these tears fall and quietly going to retrieve tissue for me without a word said. I had tried to preach truth to my heart, but there were just days when thinking rightly about God was so hard in the wake of all of that loss. And instead of bringing my wrestlings to my father, I kept silent. And then Nate sat down next to me that night, and he simply asked if I thought I had been given a stone. And I did. And that truth broke me. I had prayed that those babies would live, and they did not. I had prayed that my brother, um, who was struggling mentally, would be gloriously healed and saved, and he was taken from us. And Looking back, I see um, this is a turning point in my grief. It was messy. I was messy. I didn't want to offend God by my questions of his goodness or share my feelings with him, that I felt like I had been gypped and had been given stones instead of the bread that I asked for. I realized, though, that the Lord knew my heart and my struggles, and I couldn't hide those from him. He knew them all together. So that night, I invited him into my wrestlings, I didn't have everything neat and tidy in my heart before I came to him, and he wasn't offended by my doubts. I can honestly say that I grew deeper in my affection for Jesus and in my love for God's word through these tragedies, which will always be a glorious mystery to me, how he is indeed near to the brokenhearted, how he saves the Christian spirit, how he eventually turns our mourning into dancing and gives beauty for ashes, how he catches every one of his beloved's tears. Not one hits the ground, and not one is wasted. And that's a lot. Mm -hmm. 
And I came to realize that my loving and faithful father did answer my prayers, not in the way that I thought they would be answered or even in the ways that I had desired. But he didn't give me a stone. He gave me bread. He is the bread of life. And in the midst of those trials, he gave me himself in abundance, sustaining and keeping me and strengthening my soul when I needed him the most. He is indeed a good father. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Hill. He's not a liar. He's never unkind. He's not an evil father. He does not give us stones or serpents. There's mystery in that pain, though. There's mystery in that pain. And prayer is an opportunity for us to continue to entrust our hearts to him and his ways and the outcome and the future and our dependence grows over time, even though that is hard. I appreciate these small thought from Tim Keller. He says, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. There's a rest in his providence and his, and his sovereignty, and it's difficult, but we know we can trust him in that mystery. So there's mysteries in our asking and the outcomes we don't understand. And in our asking, there are oftentimes maybe two ways which we, we, uh, we don't get answers. And real quickly, first one is we don't ask. Jesus tells us to ask. James 4 actually tells us that we, you do not have because you do not ask. So we actually fail to come to him and ask. Or it's possible we ask amiss. James 4.3 says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. This little image kind of helped help me from a, from a book on prayer. Just imagine a road and there's these two ditches that we can fall to on the, either side. One side is we don't ask. We end up there because of maybe cynicism or unbelief. We don't come to God, or we don't, maybe don't feel like we need him. We could pull this off on our own. And the other side is we ask selfish, selfishly to spend things on our own passions. We're motivated by our pride, our own gain. We're asking for something that's clearly outside of God's will. Sometimes we're knocking on the wrong door because we're seeking just the thing to get fixed, or we're trying to knock and the door is on a codependent relationship with someone and not him and what is the road? The road is asking, seeking, knocking with a resolute, humble confidence and trust that we have a hope in our Father and he hears us. We keep knocking, we keep asking, we rest in our, our sonship and our daughter relationship with our Father. Do you believe that God the Father is for you or against you this morning? saint. This impacts prayer deeply. Our praying and our asking is because of what Jesus has done to give us access by grace to God. And Jesus was not withheld from us. Jesus himself was not withheld from us. 
We've been celebrating this Christmas time, this reminder of what that gift, that good gift truly is, and that is Christ himself. It's interesting in Luke, we referred to it earlier, Luke's account in this teaching, his disciples had to pray. He almost uses, uses these exact words in, as in the book of Matthew. And yet Luke ends in verse 13 this way. Jesus says, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What is the how much more gift that he longs to give us in our asking? He gives us God, the Holy Spirit. Our triune God wants to fill us with more of himself as we move towards him in our asking and our seeking and our knocking. In our prayer, church, God gives us himself. He gives us himself. The Spirit brings us to encounter him, the Son and the Father in his love. And if we get that, if we get him, we are not without anything that we need most. This is how Paul put it in Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? What a promise, church. What a promise for you and for I. Our greatest need is more, is more of him. More of him. More of him to love him more. More of him to love others around us more. More of him to endure maybe what feels like that treacherous, dark valley that's ahead of you. Though I walk through this, you are with me. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously give us all things? So cross of grace, there is... There's gravity to what's ahead for us. There's a weightiness to our discipleship individually and to our call as a church, wrestling with my own doubts and anxious moments. How does this mission get fulfilled? How does holiness get formed in us as his people? How does love and mission towards the lost look? How can we do this and be faithful to this? Asking, seeking, and knocking. How much more is the Lord eager to give good things to us, cross of grace? If we ask, he's going to give it to us. If we seek him, we will find it. If we knock, it will be opened. Our mission to make and mature disciples, the resources we need to fulfill that as a church, God's work here in Chaska, God's work in Arnold, Maryland, God's work in Italy, God's work in us to grow in faith and humility and fruit of the Spirit and faithfulness, our relationships, our marriages, our, our relationships with our children, our unity as a church, your job, your employment, for us to be, love well and to forgive well and to encourage one another and to live in the one another's buildings and programs and church management software, administration, all these things, we, we can come to him and ask him. We can seek and we can knock and he's going to hear us, church. He hears us and is eager to give us answers in those prayers.
as I was preparing for this, this message, I, I just, talking with the pastors, like, well, where can we just put some legs to just moving towards him intentionally in January? And uh, so we just t- discussed, how can we just create some context in the coming month where we can provide opportunities for us to pray more? And so in January, we're going to get some details out this week, but there's some, some morning, um, uh, kind of a midweek morning that we're going to create an opportunity. If it's just on Zoom, we'll probably do that, where we can just gather together and pray as God's people to ask and seek and knock. So a couple of contexts, probably on a Saturday, we're going to gather together and pray and ask God to, to meet us. Um, I want to encourage you, we meet here at 915 to pray in this little room over here on the left. Would you, would you join us and pray? We, we have this invitation, church, this invitational command with this, this solid confidence of our Father who hears. Let's lean in this year. Let's lean in and join in prayer. Let me pray for that very thing for us. Lord, you, you're so kind to, to give us this, this promise of, of the Father hearing us, your Father hearing us. And Jesus, you are so faithful to give us access to the Father through your, through your work. And Spirit, you faithful to fill us with your love. To, and God, give us more of your Spirit so that we, we would have more of you. And so what I, I ask for more of your Spirit to come and fill us at Cross of Grace. Would you pour out your love into our hearts by the Spirit today, Lord? Would you allow us as we're reaching towards you, wherever people are praying and asking and seeking and knocking, some of us for very difficult, hard situations, Lord, would you, as we're doing that, Lord, allow us not to despair, not become disheartened, Lord, not to fall into dark and hard thoughts that we're giving stones or we're given serpents or in some way, Lord, but we would, we would experience you. We would know you, Lord. Your heart would be experienced and known. And Lord, as we're called to something at Cross of Grace, we're called to a mission, Lord, to take your gospel to our spheres of influence, to take your gospel to this community. Jesus, we need you, we need you to do that. We cannot follow you, Jesus, and live as disciples, this call to be faithful to living in your kingdom without more of you to do that. So would you incline our heart to that? Give us the strength to do that. And would you help us to move towards you with more asking and seeking and knocking, knowing that you have much more, much more to give, Lord. Good gifts to pour out upon your children. So pour out your spirit. Move, help our hearts to be moved towards you in greater ways in prayer. For our joy, Lord, for your glory, for the good of your church. Amen. Amen.